بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار In the previous lesson we looked at some events that took place after the battle of the ahzab battle of the confederates and this was an attempt by some of the inhabitants of Medina the Yahud uh, to go and incite various tribes of the pagans to incite them to come and uh, make battle in Medina and to wipe out the muslim community in Medina and so the confederates the ahzab they were unsuccessful and Uh, they failed in their attempts and when they failed in their attempts the messenger of allah sallam he turned to address some of the um, those who had basically betrayed their trust and so he dealt with them and from them was banu qurayza and uh, we looked at that incident in the previous lesson and there's some other incidents that took place as well during that same time uh, but this leads us now to another incident which is known as bani ghazwat bani al-mustalaq this was another uh, expedition that took place and within the context of this expedition a number of important events took place that were mentioned that were for which verses were revealed in the quran so let's talk about this event in brief first of all banu uh, al-mustalaq they were a a uh, sub tribe from the tribe of khuzaa and most of the tribe of khuzaa were inclined to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam meaning that they weren't enmities towards him they were inclined towards him and they used to give him uh, advice but there was a small group amongst them there was a group amongst them who used to actually be inclined towards the quraish rather than the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and it was brought to the attention of the messenger of allah sallam that a group amongst uh, this 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 tribe the, the uh, from khuzaa bani al-mustalaq that they were preparing to actually fight him and to kill him so word came to the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so then he sent one of the sahaba buraida bin al-husayb in order to verify that this is indeed the case so he sent him and he uh, burida went and obviously he uh, went to 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 the, to, the, to these people and listened and and he eventually he verified that indeed this is the case that these people are preparing to come and attack the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam so after verifying that this is indeed the case i notice here again that the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in in fact in many of the incidents that we've looked at previously as well that he would send someone on a mission to go and verify that this is indeed the case that there are moves being made 
that there are plots being hatched, that there are, that there are designs to fight and to attack and to... And he would always make verification. So when he verified that this is indeed the case, he put Zayd bin Haritha in charge of the city of Medina, and uh, some reports say it was somebody else. And then he went out towards this group of people, this Bani al-Mustalaq. And with him were 700 companions. And so eventually what happened is that they, they met and some fighting took place and some of them were killed, but most of them were taken as captive. And so they were taken captive, whatever wealth they had with them was taken with them. And this all took place over two nights in the month of Sha'ban in the sixth year of Hijrah. Now amongst those who were taken captive was Juwairiyah bint al-Harith. And uh, she was uh, the granddaughter of Abi Dirar, who was the chief of this tribe, Bani al-Mustalaq. So when the messenger of Allah when he came, when he eventually came to Medina, after they had successfully um, stopped this plot and this plan, and he came back, he actually set uh, Juwairiya free, uh, after being a captive. And then, after, then after that, he also married her as well. As a result of this marriage, all the other captives, there were approximately a hundred other captives, um, who were freed by the Muslims because of the happiness, because of the marriage of Juwairiya to the Prophet ﷺ. And so she, in essence, became a, a woman who was of great blessing for her, for her people, because as a result of that marriage, the Muslims, they freed those captives, captives they had taken from this, uh, from this tribe. Now, this incident itself isn't anything major. There's nothing really major about this incident. A very brief, very concise incident. Uh, the fighting was very short, only took two nights. There wasn't much fighting or killing anyway. But in the course of the Messenger of Allah going to this event and returning from this event, there were, some, uh, there were a number of important things that took place. There were two events. The first one, uh, the first event was a statement made by one of the heads of the hypocrites. And there's a statement that they made, which is that basically when we return to Medina, when we get back to Medina from this expedition, the honorable one is going to expel the, the lowly one. Right? So meaning that they will go back and they will kick out the messenger of Allah from Medina and they will replace him. Now this was a statement made by one of the hypocrites. Now the background to this is that whilst they were on this expedition to Bani Mustalaq, uh, there was a man who was from the allies of the Muhajireen. He was an ally to the Muhajireen. And there was another man who was an ally to the Ansar. And what happened is that as they were trying to take a water from a particular place, a well or an oasis or a particular place, they kind of got into an altercation with each other. They got into a little altercation with each other. And so the muhajir, the, 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 the one who was allied to the muhajir, he, he struck the one from the Ansar. And so the Ansari, he turned to the people who were the Ansari and said, Oh Ansar, seeking their aid. And the muhajiri, he turned to the muhajirun and he said, Oh ya muhajirun, 
calling them. And so then eventually what happened is that a group gathered over here, of the Ansar, and a group gathered over there of the Muhajireen contending with each other. When the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he saw this, and he said, Abi da'wal jahiliyyati wa ana bayna adhurikum, Is this the call of jahiliyyah? Are you making the call of jahiliyyah whilst I'm in your midst? Leave it, for it is, it is vile, it is evil. Meaning that this call to tribalism and partisanship, and this tribal spirit is something which is from the calls of Jahiliyyah. How can you call to the call of Jahiliyyah? I am in your midst. So abandoned for, for indeed it is vile and it is evil. So once, the, once they heard the messenger of Allah Sallam reprimand them, then they you know, came back and they understood and they returned and recanted from this. Now as this was taking place, as these things were taking place, there's a group of the hypocrites who were who were, who were present. And they'd come out with this expedition with the Muslims. And they'd never come out previously. And at the head of them was their chief, Abdullah bin Ubay. And as these events were taking place, and obviously the Muslims had already, um, you know, uh, the, the issue of the battle itself, and the things that were taking place around them, they were quite discontent with the fact that they unwillingly had to come out along with the Muslimin, and they were seeing the Muslims being uh, victorious and remo- removing those, or, or you know, uh, preventing the evil of those who intended harm against them. And so, what they were thinking in their minds, they were, there was this thought lurking in their minds that basically, um, you know, these people they haven't promised us anything. All that is happening is that they've overtaken our land. They've made us to be, uh, whereas before we used to be in charge, now they've made us to be some, someone who is small, insignificant, and they've taken over our land. And um, then they began to say that there's a, there's a statement which is made that, the, that, the, um, that they used to say, that fatten your dog, if you fatten your dog, he will kill you. But this is a statement that used to be said among, amongst the Arabs, that if you fatten your dog too much, he's going to kill you. And what they meant by this was that they were resentful of the fact that they are coming out and they are being forced to be involved in these uh, expeditions. And what's happening is um, that the Muslims are becoming more and more enriched by this process. They are preventing their enemies from doing harm to them. They are acquiring booty. They are this. They're becoming stronger and stronger. And so, so, so as the saying goes, if you fatten your dog, it will eventually kill you because it will get too big and it will you know, become ferocious and kill you. So this began to, make this began to make this statement. Then one of them, this Abdullah bin Ubay, he said, By Allah, if we return back to Medina, لَإِنْ رَجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعَزْ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلْ He made this statement. And what he meant by this, this statement was that by Allah, if we return back to Medina for after this expedition, the honorable one, the noble one, meaning himself, Abdullah bin Ubay, will expel the lowly one. And he meant by that the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is why the ayah, the ayah was revealed, um, uh, as will come in, in the story a bit shorter, 
so when he came back to Medina, he began to stir tribulations. He began to make tribulations, and he would say, he would say to the people around him that, look, this scenario that we have here, where, these, where, where the messenger is ruling over you, all of this you have brought this about due to your own actions. You've allowed your city, your land to be taken, and you know these people have divided your wealth amongst themselves, and you know, and so. He said that if you keep going on like this, then you should, you know, you're going to have to live at some other place and leave this place. Now, as he was making all these remarks, as he was making these statements, as he was making these bold threats and remarks like this, there was a youth, a believer, strong in his faith, by the name of Zayd bin Arqam, radiyallahu anhu. And he was not able to show patience against all of this speech that Abdullah bin Ubay was making. So he came to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and he informed him that this is what he is saying. He's saying this, and he's saying that, and he's saying that he's going to expel the honorable one, he's going to expel the lowly one. He was making all these remarks. And so the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he called Abdullah ibn Ubay and he asked him about all of these affairs that had been narrated to him. And he swore by Allah that he never said any of these things. I told a wicked, evil lie. He swore by Allah that he never said anything from those things which had been revealed. And it was at this point that the surah in the Quran, Surah Al-Munafiqoon, chapter of the hypocrites, verse, surah number 63 in the Quran, this was revealed upon the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and all of the things that they'd been keeping a secret, Abdullah bin Ubay and his followers, they were exposed in this surah. They were brought out in this surah. And in this surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَيَقُولُونَ لَإِنْ رَجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعَزُّ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلِ They say that if we return back to Medina, then the honorable one will expel the lowly one. And you know the various other things that they had been doing and saying. And so when this surah was revealed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exposed Abdullah bin Ubay and humiliated him and exposed his lie. And so uh, at the same time, the son of Abdullah bin Ubay, he was actually a believer. His name was Abdullah as well. He was a believer. He was a firm believer. And when he came and returned back and he came to Medina, this was again returning from this expedition. And when all these events had taken place and the surah had been revealed. And he, he came back and he came outside Medina with his, with his sword drawn. And he said to his father, who is the head of the hypocrites, he said, By Allah, you will not go past this place until the messenger of Allah gives you permission to pass this place. For indeed, he is Al-Aziz. He is the one who is honorable. And, and you are the one who is the leel. You are the one who is the lowly, ignoble one. This is a son saying it to his father. Because of what his father had said, the hypocrite had said about the messenger of Allah saying that I, the noble one, when I get back to Medina, I'm going to kick him out of Medina, the lowly one. So his son, a believing son, stood in front of him with his, shorts, with his sword drawn saying, you are, not going to pass, you are not going to pass by me until I hear from the messenger he's given you permission to pass by me. Because he is Al-Aziz, the Honorable One. 
and you are the dhalil, you are the lowly, ignoble one. This news reached the messenger of Allah Wasallam, and he sent a messenger to Abdullah to allow his father, the hypocrite, to let him, to let him go and let him, uh, let him be. And so this fitna was ended uh, of Abdullah bin Ubay stirring you know, the affair like this. This was the first major incident, and as you can see, uh, Suratul Munafiqun was revealed in this context. Now the second major incident which took place is that the Prophet ﷺ, when he was returning back from this expedition, uh, he stopped at a certain place close to Medina. And after stopping at this place, he gave permission for the group to continue traveling. And this was during the night time. And along him, along, with him was Aisha radiallahu anha. And whilst they were getting ready to depart, she had to leave uh, to fulfill uh, a need. But when she came back, she found, she basically she lost her place. And she began to look for the place uh, where they were. But by this time, the army had already departed. And the caravan in which she would have been, because they didn't feel that someone was missing from that caravan. They didn't think that anyone has not returned to this caravan. And again, um, because there were a group of people who were carrying the caravan, uh, they couldn't feel or perceive that someone was actually missing. Which meant that Aisha radiallahu anha, she got left uh, behind. And so she sat in that same place, and um, thinking that they're going to fight, they're going to soon realize that obviously somebody's missing and they're going to come straight back to collect me. But because as the reason was that because she was so light and the caravan, they couldn't tell in the caravan that something is missing, then it never came to their minds to come back. They didn't, they didn't even think that someone is actually missing. So she stayed in that place and sleep overtook her. Now, in the meanwhile, there was a companion by the name of Safwan bin al-Mu'attal al-Sullami radiallahu anhu. And what had happened is that before the army had stopped, he himself had slept further back. He'd already let the army go forward and he'd slept. Why? Because he, um, he was someone who would uh, sleep a lot and you know, he would awake later. And so when he awoke, he continued following the track of the army. And then in the distance you could see, obviously that someone was lying on, on the ground. And he came and he saw that it was Aisha radiallahu anha. When he recognized her, he said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, zawjatu rasulillah, sallallahu He said, you know, to Allah we belong to him shall return. Is this the wife of the Prophet, And this is the only words he said. And she heard the voice and she woke up and, you know, she uh, heard his voice and she covered her face, and uh, Safwan, Safwan, he then allowed her to travel upon his uh, riding beast, the camel. And so he carried it by the, by the reins, while she was sat on the camel, and he walked her back until they reached, until they reached caught up with the army again. Now, when Abdullah bin Ubay had saw Safwan coming with Aisha radiallahu anha on the on the riding beast, and catching up with the army, he found an opportunity 
And this was from the filth and the evil of his hypocrisy which was in his heart. From the filth and the hypocrisy in his heart, he found an opportunity from the jealousy and envy and the hatred and the hypocrisy. He accused them both of fujur. Meaning he accused them of committing, of, of doing something. And this was a lie and a fabrication. And then he began to spread this and quote this, that basically that these two have come, Safwan and Aisha, and they, you know, basically that they have done, done something, done something illegitimate. And he began to spread this. And, you know, there was a group of people who were with him. And they began to spread this as well and began to put this into the, the, the ears and the minds of some of the, some of the Muslims. Until even some of the believers became affected by this slander. They began to believe this slander. Now, when they returned back, remember at this point, no one really knows apart from the ones who are spreading this amongst the people. Now, when they returned back to Medina, it so happened that Aisha radiallahu anha became so ill that she became bedbound. So for a whole month, she was ill in the house. And without her even knowing, there was turmoil in Medina because this story had been spread. It had been spread. And she does not know anything of what is taking place for a whole month. And she would become a bit suspicious because she realized that the attitude of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, was not the same to her as it used to be before. She used to, when she used to complain, he would simply come and enter and just make, give salam. And say, how, how are you? And that's it. And in return, without, any, without sitting and without you know, any other kind of uh, dialogue. And so she realized that something is not right. There's something not right. And during this whole time, he would speak and not really, uh, he would not really speak. He would be silent most of the time. And when the revelation didn't come down for a long time as well, no revelation came down, he began to seek advice from his companions. So he sought advice from Ali bin Abi Talib, and advice from Osama and others. And they gave him different advice. Maybe he should let her go. Others said maybe he should keep her. Right? So there was some you know, advice going backward and forward as to what he should do with Aisha radiallahu anha. And remember, during all this period, Aisha does not know what is really taking place.
So the messenger of Allah he sought advice because revelation had not come down. And he sought advice from his companions, from Ali and others as to what he should do. So they offered their advice. And during this period, it also came to, attend, came, came to light that, uh, that, that uh, Abdullah bin Ubay had harmed the messenger of Allah in relation to his family. And so some commotion arose whereby a man uh, came, a man who was the leader of the tribe of Aus, and he came and he wanted to kill Abdullah bin Ubay. And uh, this then in turn caused the tribe of Khazraj to become agitated because Abdullah bin Ubay was from amongst them. So basically some commotion kicked off between different tribes as a result of all of this uh, this fabrication and this slander against Aisha radiallahu anha. So, anha. so the situation got quite bad. Remember, during all of this time, Aisha does not know what is taking place. So one, on one occasion, she came out uh, during the night on account of, uh, of, of a need. And by this time, the illness had become less. And someone went with her called, a woman called Umm Musattah. And... This woman had a son who's called Musattah, and um, he was one of the people who had been affected by the statements of the Munafiqun, by the news of the hypocrites of this slander against Aisha radiallahu anha. And it happened that his mother informed Aisha of what had been taken place and what was being said. Now, when this came to her. Uh, knowledge uh, she came to the messenger of Allah and likewise her parents the parents of Aisha anha, came as well and she wanted to confirm that this is indeed what is taking place because remember up until this point she has no knowledge of it at all and when it was confirmed she began to cry and she cried for two nights and a day non-stop because of the grief and because of the harm that this caused to her and during this period, uh, you know, uh, she felt as if, and her parents felt as if her, her liver was going to burst because of the, uh, the crying and the grief. Now the Messenger of Allah came to her, and on the second night after this took place, and he said to her, O Aisha, such and such has reached me. This news has come to me regarding you. And if you are free and innocent from this, then Allah will soon declare your innocence. And if you have fallen into a sin, then seek forgiveness from Allah. Make tawbah to Allah. Because a servant, when a servant acknowledges the sin and repents to Allah, then Allah turns to him with acceptance. And at this point, her tears stopped and she turned to both of her parents and she said to them um, that by Allah, I've heard this speech and if I was to say to you that I'm innocent, maybe you would not believe me. 
But Allah knows that I am innocent. And if I was to say to you and acknowledge, if I was to admit that I did such and such thing, and Allah knows that I am free from this, then you would believe me. So in other words, what am, what am I supposed to do? I have, I have no recourse to anything. So therefore by Allah, I find no other option in front of me, except as the father of Yusuf, السلام, which is Ya'qub, except what he said. He said, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانُ عَلَى مَا يَصِفُونَ He said, this is going back to the story of uh, Ya'qub and his son Yusuf, he missed his uh, son, he was grieving. And he said, patience is beautiful, patience is, is the beautiful way. And Allah is the one whose aid is sought from that which they describe. So no sooner had she said this, and when she you know, lied for some rest, except that revelation came to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Messenger of Allah, he began to laugh. And the first speech that he said, the first words that he spoke, he said, Ya Aisha, Amma Allah faqad barra'ak. He said, O Aisha, by Allah, as for Allah, then He has indeed declared your innocence. And so, after this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He revealed 10 verses. There were 10 verses revealed in relation to the innocence of Aisha radiallahu anha in Surah Nur. Beginning with the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ جَاءُوا بِالْإِفْكِ عُسْبَةٌ مِّنْكُمْ Indeed, those who brought the fabrication, the slander, they were a party who were amongst you. لا تحسبه شرا لكم. Do not think that this was evil for you. بل هو خير لكم. Rather, this was an event, an occurrence that was good for you. Meaning, it was it was in your interest that this happened. لكل امرئ منهم مقتصب مقتصب من الإثم. Every man amongst them will have whatever he earned of sin, of, of evil. وَالَّذِي تَوَلَّا كِبْرَهُ مِنْهُمْ لَهُ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ But the one who was the instigator behind all of this, for him is a painful, is a mighty punishment. And there were ten, there were nine other verses that were revealed, declaring the innocence of Aisha radiallahu anha. And so then the Messenger of Allah he came out to the people, he addressed the people, he recited these ayat from the Qur'an, which declared the innocence of Aisha radiallahu anha. And when these verses were revealed, he brought two men and a woman, and they were lashed for the crime of spreading slander. The crime of spreading slander, because some of the companions, they were actually affected by the statements of the hypocrites, and they began to spread and carry the slander. And so each of them was lashed 80 times, and amongst them was the companion Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu anhu, and Musattah bin Athatha, and Hamna bin Jahsh. And obviously they made a mistake. They made a mistake, they fell into something, and they contributed in spreading this uh, fabrication. Uh, so they were uh, disciplined for that, as uh, required in the Sharia. But as for the chief of the hypocrites, the one who's behind all of this, which is Abdullah bin Obey, and the people with him, they were not punished uh, in the life of this world, but soon they will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, on the day in which neither wealth nor offspring will benefit, except the one 
who comes to Allah with a sound heart. And we'll stop at this point, inshallah, to uh, establish the salah. And uh, we maybe will continue afterwards. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ba'd. From these uh, two incidents, the incident involving Abdullah bin Ubay, we can see that the hypocrites continue to uh, create difficulties uh, for the Muslims. And these two uh, events are an illustration of the seriousness with which or the, you know, through, through which they actually had the, the hatred, the hiqd in their hearts for Islam and to harm the Messenger of Allah to such a degree that even with respect to something so, uh, which is so uh, sacred, like for example the issue of uh, one's wife, that they were even so lowly and despicable that they would spread rumors of that of that nature in order to discredit and harm the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he repelled their filth and their evil and exposed them uh, for for their evil now this brings us to another major incident and this this follows on from the events that came uh, previously and this now is the famous incident of Hudaybiyah the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And the story of this is that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu he saw in a dream that he should, he saw in a dream that he and his companions were entering Al-Masjid Al-Haram whilst they were safe and they had their heads shaved or the hair shortened. And he saw this in a dream. So he informed the Muslims about this. And he informed them that he desires to go and to perform Umrah. So he um, brought some people together, uh, some of the Arabs, some of the desert Arabs, and you know, tried to encourage them to go. Uh, but they made excuses and said that our trade and our wealth and our families have you know, occupied us. So seek forgiveness. If you go, then seek forgiveness from Allah for our, on, on, on our behalf. So, some of them they weren't able to come, but some of them came. The Messenger of Allah, he <coughs> left on the second day of Dhul Qa'da in the year 6 Hijrah. And he had with him 1400 of the Muhajirun and the Ansar. And they brought with them the Hadi, or the sacrifice. And this was to let the people know that when they approach Mecca and whoever they meet, they know that these people have not come for war. They have come for performing the rituals of pilgrimage. And so they came to a certain place, Dhul Hulayfa, and um, they put the ihram on for Umrah. And then they continued making their way towards Makkah. And then it reached the Quraysh, or it reached him that the Quraysh had, be, had, be, had got prepared to fight against them. Because they knew now that the Muslims were coming to Makkah uh, for whatever reason. And... They, the Quraysh had prepared in order to fight them and to prevent them from entering the Baytul Haram, basically the Haram area. And uh, they sent Khalid bin al-Walid with 200 horsemen uh, to go to a place near to Aswan, which was a place where the Messenger had, had arrived. 
so that they could prevent the Muslims from making their way to Mecca. And on top of that, they also gathered together some of the Ahbash, some of the tribes from the Habashi tribes with them to aid them uh, against the Messenger of Allah And so the Messenger of Allah he sought advice from his companions and asking them that if they decide to attack us, including those that they've brought with them from the Ahbash, then should they be you know, should they be fought? Should we fight them if they prevent us? And so Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said that we have come to make Umrah. We haven't come to fight against the people. We've come to do Umrah. And uh, anyone who comes in between us and the house and tries to prevent us, although we've not come to, to fight, then we will stop them and we will, you know, fight against them. Um, even though we haven't come, we've come for Umrah. So the messenger of Allah he accepted this view. And Khalid bin al-Walid, he could see that the Muslims were praying Salatul Dhuhr. Whilst they were making ruku' and making sujood, he could see from a distance with his 200 horsemen. And he said that these people, if we were to attack them, we could attack them whilst they are performing ruku' and sujood. Meaning that this is a, is a situation which we can easily fight them and get rid of them. And so they agreed and they decided that when, when they finish Dhuhr, we'll wait a while until they make the adhan for Asr. As soon as they start praying Asr, we will, we will attack them. And it was at this point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He revealed Salatul Khawf, the verses relating to Salatul Khawf. Because before that, this, there was no prayer of fear, where if you are involved in a battle, you could perform the prayer in a certain way, uh, you know, whilst continuing to, to fight. And so this uh, Salatul Khawf was revealed and obviously these people, they lost their opportunity because they thought, you know, the, the opportunity went for them to attack the Muslims while they were praying. Now the Messenger of Allah he took a path other than their path. He went towards the right, towards the lower side of Mecca until he came to a certain place known as Hudaybiyah. And an incident happened here at Hudaybiyah where his camel would not go any further and it, you know, despite him trying to, you know, it went down, he wouldn't come up. And then he made a remark that basically, um, by Allah, whatever plan, whatever you advise, uh, you know, in which the sanctities of Allah will be glorified, that I will give, I will grant you that. And then he pulled his camel, and the camel got up again, and you know, began to walk until it stopped at the, the place which is known as as Hudaybiyah. Now at this point. A man by the name, uh, a man by the name, name of Badil bin Waraqa al Khuzai, he came from a group of the tribe called Khuzai, and as we said before, that some of these people were inclined towards the Messenger of Allah. They would give him advice on certain issues, and they told him that the Quraysh are getting ready to fight him, and to stop him from entering the the uh, Harab. And so the Messenger of Allah told him that he has only come for Umrah. And he's not come for fighting, and he is prepared to make a an agreement, and a covenant, and an agreement of, of peace with them. And if, the, however, if the Quraysh were to refuse, accept to fight, then he will most certainly fight them uh, until you know until whatever is whatever whatever Allah decrees uh, takes place. So now the intent was made clear. The messenger has now made his intent clear to the Quraysh that I've already come for Umrah. I'm prepared to make a sulh and hudna, a peace, a treaty, whatever, 
And but if you refuse, then I'm prepared to fight with you. So now what happened is that some delegations began to go backward and forward, some emissaries going backward and forward. And uh, when Badil he came back and he informed the Quraysh that this is what the messenger he said, they then sent a second person as an emissary. This person, uh, Ibn Hafs, uh, they said, uh, you know, he he he. he he said, uh, the Messenger of Allah said to him, the same as what he said to the first person, Badil. And so he went back and told the Quraysh the same thing. He said, this Messenger, he's only come to make Umrah, he will not fight, but if you refuse to accept the fight, then he will fight. But he's prepared to make a, pre- a treaty, an understanding, to avoid any altercations. So he went back, told them the same thing, they weren't happy with this. Then they sent another person, a leader from the Ahbash, from the Habashi tribe. And this person was called Al-Hulais bin Ikrimah. So he came to the Muslims, and as he approached the Messenger of Allah, he said to, to the people, this man is from a people who respect the, you know, the, the animals which are brought for Umrah, or which are brought for sacrifice. So let him come, let him come. So then they allowed him to come, and the man came, Hulais came, and he saw that all these Muslims were there, they brought the animals for sacrifice. And he said, Subhanallah, how can these people, how can these people be prevented from going to the house, to the bait, to the Baytul Haram, Haram? How can they be prevented? How can it be that a donkey and you know other people come, all of them they are brought to come and they are allowed to come to the haram, to the to the bait, and how come these people and how come Ibn Abdul Muttalib is prevented from coming? From coming, this can't be. The Quraysh will perish by the Lord of the House. Why? Because he was from a people who used to venerate and respect the fact that people are coming to do pilgrimage or Umrah, and you know they've come to venerate the, the, the sanctities of Allah. They used to think great of this. So he said, Subhan, how can this be? How can these people be prevented? So when he came back, and he said to the Quraysh, how can you stop this man? How can he stop these people coming simply just to you know, make Umrah and do the rituals and so on and so forth? How can he do this? So the Quraysh said to him, look, be quiet and sit down. You're just a Bedouin. And you know, you've got no knowledge of the plots and plans and you know, of the makayid, of the, of the, the you know, machinations. Just sit down and be quiet. Then they sent another man. This is now the fourth man they are sending now to the messenger of Allah. This man was called Urwa bin Mas'ud al-Thaqafi. So he came and he spoke and the messenger of Allah said to him the same as what he said to the other people. And so this man wasn't really happy with what he heard and he said, look, how come, why, why are you coming? Why are you coming with all of these people and you've come and you've come to attack your own people? Why are you, why are you doing this? And at this point, you know, I, I see only with you the lowly people and you've just come and you've come to attack your own people, the Quraysh. Why are you doing this with all these lowly people that you've got with you? So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu stood up and he you know, spoke, he said some strong words back to him. And this man wasn't able to respond to him because Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was someone who used to do a lot of good towards him before previously. Because he knew him. So he couldn't reply back to Abu Bakr telling him to be quiet and to, you know. So then, as this was taking place, Urwa was taking hold of the beard of the Prophet when he was speaking. And another companion called Al-Mughira bin Shu'ba began to hit his hand with his shoe and say, you know, remove your hand 
from the beard of the Messenger of Allah And Urwa said, and Urwa had like an exchange with him and said to him, you know, aren't you the one? Because Al-Mughira bin Shubah, if you remember from earlier in, in the story, he was the companion who um, he went out with some Quraysh uh, on some trading mission and he killed them and took all their wealth. Then he came to the Messenger of Allah and said, I, I'm, I want to accept Islam and I've brought some wealth with, with, with me as well. I'd like to offer you this wealth. And so the Messenger said, I'll accept your Islam, but I do not accept wealth which has been taken from treachery. So Urwa, because he knew this, and Mughira was telling him, move your hand away from the beard of the Messenger of Allah Then Urwa said to him, he reminded him of this, that, you know, um, you know, uh, aren't you the one who killed the people and took their wealth? So he began to retort back to him. So anyway, Urwa um, came back eventually after seeing this from the Messenger of Allah He came back to his people eventually and he said to the Quraysh that, Oh my people, I have been to all sorts of kings. I have been in front of the Kisra, the Khosros, to the Qaisar, the Caesar of, of Rome. I've been to Najashi. I've seen all of these kings. I've seen how the people behave with respect to them. But I've never ever seen a king or a leader who is respected by his companions like Muhammad. He said, by Allah, if they saw the, you know, some perspiration or some mucus, saliva falling from him, they would try to grab it and rub it on, on, on their skin. And if he commanded them with a command, they would immediately fulfill it. If he made wudu, they would almost fight each other for this to, to get the wudu that would come from his, from his, you know, from his uh, limbs. And when he speaks, they lower their voices, become silent and wait to see what he's going to say. And their eyes, when they look at him, it is with such veneration. He says, I have never ever seen this before from any other leader. I've been in front of all these kings, but this I've not seen, except from the companions of Muhammad. So therefore, whatever he is saying to you, whatever proposition he is making to you, then accept it. Accept it. Now, you can see that obviously, the Quraysh do not want, the Quraysh want to fight and prevent the Muslims. But every time they are sending someone, He's coming back and saying, this is what Muhammad is saying. And so eventually, so this is, this is what has taken place. And nothing is resolved yet. And so what happens is, as the, all of this is taking place, another incident happens, which is that 70 or 80 from the youth of the Quraysh, from the youth of the pagans, they come. And they come to the army of the Muslims, the gathering of the Muslims. And they wanted to... Uh, because they knew that there were attempts to make a reconciliation or a sulh, a, a treaty. They wanted to sabotage any efforts to make a treaty. So they came and they tried to create some commotion and some fighting. But they were caught by the Muslims. And eventually the messenger of Allah, he actually let them all go free. And, <coughs> and he pardoned them as well. And this action had an effect in putting terror into the hearts of the mushrikun. The fact that 70 of the youth had been captured were kept by the Prophet 
He didn't slaughter them, he didn't kill them, he just let them go free and he pardoned them. And this obviously had an impact upon the hearts of the Quraysh, it made them fearful. And it also made them inclined further towards accepting the treaty. And an ayah was revealed in the Quran with respect to this, وَهُوَ الَّذِي كَفَّ أَيْدِيَهُمْ عَنْكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ عَنْهُمْ بِبَطْنِ مَكَّةِ مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنْ أَظْفَرَكُمْ عَلَيْهِمْ That he is the one who withheld their hands from you and withheld your hands from them in the midst of Mecca after he had already granted you victory over them. Now, as all of this is still taking place, the Messenger of Allah he decided to send a messenger to Quraysh to re-emphasize to them once more that he has only come for Umrah and for no other purpose. So he sent Uthman bin Affan radiallahu anhu. And he ordered Uthman that when you go into Mecca, you should go to the weak people, the believers, because many of the believers were still in Mecca. And you should go to them in Mecca and give them the glad tiding that soon there will be victory, that Mecca will be, will be, you know, there will be victory. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will proclaim and manifest his religion until no one will need to hide anymore in Mecca. Hide in order to practice his religion. He will be free. So Uthman, radiallahu anhu, he went. And he went to Mecca. And uh, he conveyed the message of the messenger of Allah sallallahu And then they left him to go and make tu'af around the, the Kaaba. So he made tu'af. Uh, sorry, he did not make tu'af. Because he said, that because the Quraysh have prevented the messenger from making tu'af, then I am not going to make tu'af. If it is prevented for the messenger, then I am not going to make tu'af, until he makes tu'af. Now what happened is that the Quraysh kept hold of Uthman. They didn't let him go back. And the reason was that they wanted to discuss between themselves for a bit to see what should we do. And then once they decided... They wanted to send the message back with Uthman to the Messenger of Allah So they kept Uthman and didn't return him. Now, when Uthman never came back, the news was spread that maybe he has been killed by the Quraysh treacherously. And this was taken as an announcement of war. Because killing an emissary, when you send an emissary, a diplomat, to another nation, to, another, to, the, uh, to the opposing enemy, then it is understood that he's, you do not kill, they are not allowed to be killed. It is, it is understood. So when party kills an emissary who has come with a message, he's killed, this is an open announcement of war. And so when this took place, so when this spread, and it was assumed that Uthman had been killed, and this was brought, and this announcement was made, and it reached the messenger of Allah then... He said, we will not seize until we, until we basically, we deal with this people. And so he called the people whilst he was sitting underneath a tree. We sat beneath a tree. And he called them all to give him the pledge of allegiance that they will fight. And so the people became stirred up and they came one by one, eager with zeal. And they gave the pledge of allegiance till death that they will never flee. And he took the hand and they gave the Pledge of Allegiance one by one. And he said that this is for Uthman. And as all of this took place and, and they finished and everyone gave the Pledge of Allegiance, all of those who were there, there came Uthman. Uthman came walking back. Radiallahu anhu. And then it was, the, it was at this point 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He revealed the ayah in Surah Fath, in the 40, uh, 48th Surah, Surah Al-Fath. لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِئُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ that indeed Allah has become pleased with the, with the believers when they gave you the Pledge of Allegiance beneath the tree. And that's why this Pledge of Allegiance, this bay'ah that was given to fight, this was known as bay'atul ridwan. The, 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 you know, the Pledge of Allegiance of, of pleasure because it brought about the pleasure of Allah upon all of those who had agreed to you know, give the Pledge of Allegiance upon this matter. Now, um, when this took place, the Quraysh heard about this Pledge of Allegiance. And this made them even more scared now. That these people who have come for Umrah, and now they are determined to fight against us. So hastily, they sent another person called Suhail bin Amr. Suhail bin Amr, to quickly ratify this treaty, this, this, this covenant, this sulh. So they sent him, he came, he came to the Messenger of Allah they spoke, he spoke for quite a while, until the Messenger of Allah he agreed certain, certain conditions that had been laid down on behalf of the Quraysh. There were four conditions, meaning that we will accept a treaty with you, we will accept a truce with the following four conditions. Number one, that the Muslims and the Messenger of Allah that they all leave, they do not perform Umrah this year, they do not enter Mecca, they leave, they return, they go back, and next year they can come back, next year they can come. But they can come only for three days, three days. They are not allowed to bring any weapons, except maybe a dagger in a scabbard, which is concealed and covered. That's the first condition. Second condition is that war will be withheld from both parties for a period of 10 years. There will be no war for a period of 10 years. Thirdly, that anyone who wants to enter into any covenant with Muhammad he can do so, he's free to do so. And anyone who wants to make his own co- his covenant, wants to enter the covenant, the agreement, with the Quraysh, then he is free to do so. Meaning that any party is able to contract and have agreements with, with any other party, there's no restrictions. And finally, and fourthly, that anyone from the, from the Quraysh, who leaves Mecca from the Muslimin, and he goes to the Muslims in Medina, he has to be returned back to the Quraysh. Meaning, if a Muslim who is in Mecca, who's living in Mecca, he flees Mecca, he makes his way to the Muslims in Medina, he is to be sent back by the Muslims to the Quraysh, to the pagans of the the Quraysh. And anyone who is from Medina, from the, from the, you know, from, from those in Medina, and he wants to go to the Quraysh, then he is allowed to go to the Quraysh. And the Quraysh do not have to return him back to the Muslims. Right? So this obviously is one-sided. It's in the favor of the Quraysh, not in the favor of the Muslimin. So these were the four conditions that were laid down, that we will agree with the truce with you on these four conditions. So then, the Prophet ﷺ, he brought Ali, he told Ali to come and he began to dictate to Ali. 
So he said to Ali, write, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. So Suhail, he said to him, what is, we, we don't know what is Ar-Rahman. Because they, they didn't know Ar-Rahman, they just knew Allah, Al-Uzza, and all the names of their deities. They said, look, this Ar-Rahman, we, we don't know who is Ar-Rahman. Remove it, and write instead, Bismikallahumma. In your name, O Allah, O, o, o Allah. So the Messenger of Rasulullah, he commanded Ali to write that instead. And then he said, continue, write the following. This is what Muhammad, the Messenger of Allah, has entered into by way of a sulh, of a treaty. So Suhail said, if we knew you to be a Messenger of Allah, we wouldn't have stopped you from the, from the house. Meaning that we don't accept you are a Messenger of Allah. If we knew you were a messenger, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have stopped you from coming to the uh, bait uh, to begin with. Nor would, we, nor would we have fought against you. So remove that and write instead, Muhammad bin Abdullah. So, the messenger of Allah, he said, Inni Rasulullah wa in kathabtumuni. He said, indeed, I am the messenger of Allah, even if you disbelieve me, even if you reject me. So then, he told Ali to remove the title Messenger of Allah. And write instead, Muhammad bin Abdullah. Now Ali refused to do that. He said, I'm not doing this. He withheld. So the Messenger of Allah, he removed it himself with his own hand. And from this treaty that was written, there were two copies that were eventually made. One for the Quraysh to keep hold of, and one for the Muslimin to keep hold of. Now, as... The agreement was being made on the terms of this treaty, meaning as they were discussing these conditions, as they were discussing, before the writing had even been put down, a man came. This man was called Abu Jandal. Abu Jandal. He is the son of the man who is actually right, doing the treaty on behalf of Quraysh. He is the son of Suhail, Suhail bin Amr, the one who is you know, negotiating this treaty. This Abu Jandal comes along he's in, because he's a Muslim from, the, from, from, uh, from, from Makkah. He's in chains. He's tied in chains. The Quraysh have oppressed him. Right? So somehow he's escaped. He's come in chains. And he's come to this place. And um, Suhail said he needs to be returned back to Makkah. And the Messenger of Allah said, well, we haven't actually written the treaty yet. The treaty has not been written yet. And so Suhail refused and said, but we've, we've agreed the terms. We've agreed the terms. And Suhail said, look, this is, this is now the test to see whether you are serious or not. We've agreed the terms even if it hasn't been written. So he needs to be turned back. He needs to go back to Mecca. This is the ter terms we've disagreed upon. And so Abu Jandal, he shouted out, he said, Oh Muslims, are you going to allow me to be sent back to the Mushrikeen who are going to put me to trial in my religion? And so the Prophet ﷺ, he said to him, Isbir wahtasib. Be patient and expect you know, a reward from Allah. For indeed Allah will make for you. And for those who are with you, from those who are weak in Makkah and oppressed in Makkah, He will make for you a way out and a solution, a relief. 
And Umar bin al-Khattab, he was obviously very angry at this and he told Abu Jandal that, you know, he told him that basically you should, you should uh, uh, do something with, with respect to it. He said, you should uh, kill your father for what he's doing. Well, he didn't do that because he was so angry. So now you can see that the terms of this treaty were against the Muslimin. And when the Messenger of Allah when he completed this affair of the writing of the treaty and the ratifying of the treaty, he then turned to the Muslims and said, look, slaughter your animals that we came with. And no one, everyone was in such a sad mood at what had happened because of the treaty, because it was all, it appeared to be one-sided in the favor of Quraysh. And they were so, you know, they were so, um, how can I put it, sad that no one really got up and did anything. No one got up and sacrificed any animals. So the Messiah he went to Um Salama and he mentioned this to her. And uh, she said, look, maybe you should go and you should slaughter the animal yourself and shave your head and don't speak to anybody. So he did that. And then eventually the other people, they, you know, reluctantly, they began to get up and they began to slaughter the animals they brought for the Umrah. And then they shaved their heads. And basically they were unhappy for two reasons. The first reason was that they were not allowed to go ahead and do Umrah. And so the messenger, and the second reason was that there wasn't any equality in the treaty. In the treaty of Hudaybi, there wasn't any, it wasn't on equal terms. So the Muslims would have to return back any Muslim who came to them from, who escaped from Mecca and came to them. And if anyone wanted to go to the Mushrikun from Medina, they would be allowed free passage and the, the, the Quraysh would not have to send them back. Right? So this was really, this really uh, bothered them. And the messenger of Allah, he told them, look, as for the Umrah, next year you will be allowed to go for Umrah. This is something that I've seen in a Ru'ya. And a Ru'ya is, is, a ru'ya is Sadiqah. The dream is true. And in this Sulh, there are some benefits. You know, there are some benefits that will be found. And secondly, with respect to the second issue, that you know, anyone who comes from them will be sent back then, Inshallah, Allah will make for him an easy way out in time. Now, the Messenger of Allah, when he did, when he entered into this treaty, this was from some far-reaching vision that he had, which the companions could not see. And what happened is that when you start to reflect upon some other issues, number one, that many of the Muslims were actually still in Abyssinia at the time. Right, so they were not part of the treaty. Those who were in Abyssinia had nothing to do with the treaty. Secondly, if any Muslim wanted to leave Mecca, he didn't have to go to Medina, he could go to Abyssinia. With that group of Muslims who had made, who had emigrated to Abyssinia. Right, so there was open passage for any person who wanted to leave Mecca, they could just go to Abyssinia, to the Muslims in Abyssinia. And... Um, so, so basically, even though the treaty seemed to be against the interest of the Muslims, and generally it was, generally it was, except that in the long term, there was to be great benefit for the da'wah of the Messenger of Allah, for the da'wah of Islam, as we shall see. And so obviously not understanding and seeing this, for example, Umar bin al-Khattabi came and he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, 
are we not upon the truth and are they not upon batil? Are they not upon falsehood? He said, yes. He said, are not our dead in paradise and they're dead in hellfire? He said, yes. He said, he said well, then why are we giving them this? Why are we compromising? Well, why is this? And why are we turning back? And why are we turning back when Allah hasn't judged between us? And so the messenger of Allah he said, O son of Khattab, O son of Al-Khattab, indeed I am the messenger of Allah. I will not disobey Allah. He is my aider and he will not cause me, he will not cause any wastage to me ever. So Umar turned angry, he went to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And he said the same thing he said to the messenger of Allah. He said the same thing to him. Abu Bakr said the same thing back to him. And he said to Umar, withhold, withhold. For by Allah indeed, uh, for indeed, uh, the, 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 um, so he said, indeed you are upon the truth, withhold. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after this whole event took place, he revealed the ayah in the Quran, inna fatahna laka fatham mubina, the, the ayah of Surah Al-Fatih, Surah Al-Fatih. This ayah was revealed and it says, Indeed, we have given you a manifest victory. The victory being referred to here is straight after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And so he read this to Umar. And uh, Umar said, O Messenger of Allah, is this a victory? And the Messenger of Allah said, Yes. He said, Yes. And so then Umar obviously his attitude changed in, you know, in, in the whole thing. And then he became remorseful about what he had done. And then as a result, he did great deals, acts of worship, great deeds of worship. You know, he continued giving charity, fasting, praying, freeing slaves and so on and so forth. Because he felt remorseful for, what he, for the way that he had behaved and, you know, in, in this thing. Now, the benefits of this treaty. Well, first of all, after the treaty had been ratified and they came back from Umrah, what happened is that women began to come to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam from, from the Quraysh, from, from, from Makkah. They began to emigrate. And their guardians began to ask that they be sent back. But the Messenger of Allah sallam, he withheld from this because they were not part of the treaty. The women were not part of the treaty. And there were specific verses revealed. Uh, for example, the ayah in the ayat in Surah Al-Mumtahina, Ya ayuhal ladhina amanu idha jaakum ul-mu'minatum wa muhajiratim famtahinuhunna. Allahu a'lamu bi-imanihin. To the rest of the ayah, O oh, oh, you who believe, when the believing women come to you who emigrate, then test them, examine them. Allah knows best about their faith. If you know them to be believers, do not return them back to the disbelievers. They are not lawful for them, nor are they lawful for them. And give them uh, from what they or that which they have spent, and there's no harm upon you if you marry them when they come to you. If you come when they come to you and you give them their dowries, until the end of the end of the ayah. So believing women were prevented, were unlawful for marriage for disbelieving men, and vice versa, disbelieving women for believing men. And so when these women would come, he would examine them and test them, and that's why we see in the same surah. Uh, later in surah in the surah ya ayuhan nabi idha ja'aka al-mu'minatu yubayyi'naka ala anna yushrikna billahi shay'a wa la yasriqna wa la yaznin wa la yaqtulna awladahunna wa la ya'tina bi buhtanin yaftarina bayna aydihinna wa arjulihin 
ولا يعصينك في معروف فبايعهن واستغفر لهن الله إن الله غفور رحيم. So the entire ayah says that, O oh Prophet, when the believing women come to you, giving you the Pledge of Allegiance, that they will not commit shirk with Allah in anything, nor steal, nor commit fornication, nor kill their children, nor come with any uh, fabrication uh, from, you know, from between their hands, meaning commit any lewdness or things of that nature, nor disobey you in that which is good, then give them the Pledge of Allegiance and seek forgiveness for them. Indeed, Allah is forgiving and merciful. So any woman who came and fulfilled all of these conditions, he said to her, I have indeed given you the Pledge of Allegiance. And he gave it by word without obviously taking their hand uh, in Pledge of Allegiance. So uh, this meant that women could come and they entered amongst the uh, Muslimin. On top of that, some other tribes, the Khuza'a, who were naturally inclined, most of them to the Messenger of Allah, they came and they entered into a covenant with the Messenger of Allah as well. And likewise, the, some other allies of Banu Hashim, they came as well. And uh, Abu Bak- uh, Banu Bakr likewise, uh, another group, they entered into a, a covenant with Quraysh. So all of these different allegiances were taking place. But one event took place, finally that we'll conclude with this, which is that, if you remember that the Muslims who were in Mecca were being, being punished and harmed. And they weren't allowed to leave Mecca. And one of them called Abu Basir, he escaped and he came to Medina. So the Quraysh sent two men to go and to bring him back. So they came and on the way they caught up with Abu Basir. Uh, sorry, they, they, they went to Medina and um, when, he, when he came to a place called Dhul Halifa, which is before Medina, they caught up with him. He killed one of them. And the other one fled towards Medina. So he chased him. And that man got to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Look, this man, he's killed my companion. He's escaped. And <coughs> we need to take him back. So when Abu Basir came to the Messenger of Allah, the Messenger of you know, reprimanded him for what he did. And informed him that he's going to return him back to the Quraysh. So Abu Basir escaped. Knowing that he was going to be sent back to the Quraysh, he escaped. And he went to a place uh, in, in like, with, a, with a coastal region. And at the same time, and the, the man Abu Jandal, if you remember from previously, Abu Jandal, the son of Suhail, he escaped as well. So then he escaped, he met up with Abu Basir. Then slowly, some other people began to escape as well. And they made a little team. And this team, what they would do is they would keep an eye out for the caravans of Quraysh when they would go for trade. And they would attack them. And this became such a menace for the Quraysh. That this became like, you know, it was really menacing to them. So eventually, they just gave up and they said, look. They said to the messenger of Allah, they sent a message. They said, look, all of these people, just take them. Let them go to Medina. Because obviously the, 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 the covenant was that if any of them comes to Medina, they have to be sent back. So these people were just basically on the loose and being a menace for the Quraysh. So eventually the Quraysh said, look. Take them, let them go to Medina, and you know anyone who goes to you, he's, he's safe, just keep them with you. Just keep them with you. Because why this would be the safest thing for them? So eventually what happened is that those people who were obviously being oppressed in Medina, they found a way out, and they were, not, they were now able to come to Medina and to join the rest of the Muslimin. And so 
the, really the true effect, what was the true effect of this peace treaty? The true effect was, number one, war was postponed for 10 years. There could be no, there could be no fighting now. What does it mean? It means that the Messenger of Allah can know and give da'wah openly everywhere without any restraint. Secondly, it meant that the Quraysh no longer could resort to, they basically accepted the fact that they do not have any means over the Muslimin. And that the Muslims are free to go and to basically, you know, uh, preach their religion. Right? This was the long-term thing that the, the, the companions did not see. And so as a result of that, <coughs> the Muslims were able to meet with all the general, the Arab tribes, call them to Allah. People began to enter into Islam in huge numbers. And in two years, from six hijrah to eight hijrah, their numbers increased in a way that over the previous 20 years, they not entered, those numbers had not entered into Islam. This was from the benefit of the treaty of, of, of Hudaybiyyah. And even some of the great figures of the Quraysh, such as Amr bin al-As, Khalid bin al-Walid himself, Uthman bin Talha, they all came and they accepted Islam, aspiring for Islam, being obedient, testifying that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, and that Muhammad is a messenger, and they gave him the Pledge of Allegiance. And likewise, they began to, everything they had in their possession of wealth, and you know everything, they, they gave it to aid the messenger of Allah And so, when they came, he said, Inna Makkah, indeed Makkah has thrown out to us the best of its, the kabad, you know, like of its, it's like a statement which means that it's given and sent out the best of, of them. So here we can see the great benefit in the treaty of Hudaybiyah and how the far-reaching vision of the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was for the benefit of the Muslimin. And from this, uh, we should understand that it is permissible for the Muslim rulers to enter into negotiations, to enter into treaties, to enter into understandings with non-Muslim rulers and leaders. And this is something that these evil, despicable people, the Khawarij, these people like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, they do not understand because they do not have any fiqh of the religion. Because they are foolish, young, ignorant, foolish people with no scholars. And from this incident of the, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah are many, many great and mighty lessons that Muslims can enter into, Muslim nations, Muslim rulers, can enter into negotiations, treaties, agreements, even on terms that may be unfavorable if there are long-term benefits. And obviously this is something which is discussed in detail by the scholars of today when they refute the likes of these khawarij, these evil, foolish, ignorant people. Because these people, when they see that the rulers have entered into negotiations and treaties, even peace after war, whatever they think, oh, this is you, you are selling out and now you have abandoned the Sharia and you have left Islam, you've left Iman and you've acted treacherously. All of this is from their jahl because they do not have any fiqh of the religion. So do not be affected by these evil people and their rhetoric when they make the likes of this speech. And the best example to be put in their face is this example of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And so with that, we'll conclude our lesson there today, inshallah ta'ala, and we'll continue uh, in the next lesson in a few weeks, inshallah ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.